I was this morning in a Bible study at Pastor Willis's church. I do one in the morning there and in the evening here on Wednesdays. And uh, we, we got some Willis family folks here from his church. And that's, uh, what's the name of the street? Highland Street Revival. That's the church over there. And uh, God bless everything that's going on there. Wonderful things. And one of the things we talked about in the book of James this morning was how that it's not enough to talk about your faith. You need to put it into motion. You know, faith without works is dead. Dead. I don't like dead things. They stink up the house. Have you run into those Bible experts that don't do anything for the kingdom, but they'll tell you everything wrong with the kingdom, or they'll tell you everything you should be doing for the kingdom? That's not the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is that we do our part. And tonight's lesson lends itself to that. By the way, that picture of Jesus up there is by an artist that calls him the rhetorical Jesus. And if you look up the rhetorical Jesus, there's some pretty nice cartoons uh, where Jesus, you know, just drops a comment. And I, I just like the way he looks because I think Jesus is that way, that friendly, happy, welcoming look. You know, uh, Sometimes we get this image of God like he's got a big fly swatter and he's waiting for us to mess up or a ruler or a leather belt or something. And God is not angry. He is not in a bad mood. He's excited about the relationship that he wants to have with you and he just needs you to reciprocate all that he's done. Isn't it wonderful what God's done for us? If you just take the time, you know, we used to sing that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. If you just get started on that, you'll never finish. We just sometimes don't start. We don't start often enough anyway to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my family, for the roof over my head, for the food in my belly, for the transportation that got me here. Thank you, God, for people that care about me. Thank you, God, for people that notice me, that would, that would feel a loss if I wasn't in the family. And so we're grateful that you're here and part of what God's doing. It's an amazing thing to be part of the family of God. And you know, it's not a perfect family. Have you ever met a perfect family? Those are the most miserable people I ever met. I, I met a perfect family one time. They said, nothing bad ever happens to us. We're just perfect. I thought, well, you're not committed either. Because if you're committed, there will be some warts in there somewhere. If you just are like silly putty and you just roll with everything and you just pick up like a chameleon, everything that you stick to, you know, you just sort of, it's just sort of go with it. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You, we have to be, we have, you know, Christians are not jellyfish. We're supposed to have a backbone, and we're supposed to believe that we believe in something, something that may cost us, uh, that we may have to sacrifice for, something that one day may, be, may become, you know. We, we need to recognize that we live in a world that's not all on the team. They're not all in favor of the good things that the church does. They're not all uh, pulling for us. Uh, I know plenty of sinners that would be grieved if they saw a Christian fall because they're pulling for us to succeed. But there are some that would be just as happy if they saw this church vacant and empty. I want this church not only to be full, but to be overflowing and planting other churches so that we can see the kingdom expanded. You know, we need the kingdom of God to grow and grow and grow. And tonight we're going to talk about part of what makes that happen. Tonight we're going to talk about this passage in Luke 5, 17 to 26, where, you know, we activate our faith. I don't know about you, but it might have been difficult for, uh, for Noah to be persuaded to start building the ark. God may have said, I need you to build a boat. What's a boat? I need you to build a building. What kind of building? I need it to be like one that's, well, sort of upside down. I need you to, you know, not a dirt floor. We want to build it, you know, where it will float. What's float? What's a float? Just uh, follow the directions I give you. Why? You ever had that child that had that question all the time? Why? God just wants you to say when, how. Let's go about it. Let's get to it. You know, it must have been difficult. Don't you think, even though he acted in faith, wasn't it hard for Abraham to take that son of promise up the hill and have his own son carry the wood that he was going to sacrifice him on? Wasn't that difficult for Abraham? Do you think it was easy when he pulled the knife from the sheath 
and started to raise it into the air to plunge it into his own son who he dearly loved. The angel stopped him, but Abraham did not know that part. We read that part. We know the end of the story. Abraham did not. When we put our faith in motion, God doesn't always tell us about the outcome. He just tells us what the next step is, what we need to do now, what we need to do next. And sometimes we just think, God, you know, that really doesn't fit. I don't understand what you're asking me to do. Build a boat that will hold animals? Why? There's no water to float it in. They probably didn't even have, you know... I don't know if you remember, but we used to make rubber band boats out of wood, and you'd wind up the paddle, put it in the tub, and then... Then we had the ones you'd stick the soap on. They were real small and light, made out of balsa wood. you stick some soap on there. As the soap melted, it pushed the boat along in the tub. You know, we used to do stuff like that. Well, Noah didn't know anything about that. They didn't emulate a boat because they didn't have a boat. So when you think about faith, think about God asking you to do something you have no reference you have no frame of reference. You have no idea what you're doing. And for a hundred years, you're mocked and laughed at. And you say, no, you don't get it. The end is near. Get in the boat. Join us. Be a part of this. And all you know is God said, something's going to happen. I don't completely understand it. But I believe. And I'm building a boat because I believe. And then all these animals, you know, predator and prey, they all come showing up. And then they think you're not only building a big nutty building, but you, uh, you've got a zoo going. What in the world is going on with Noah? And everybody come out just to laugh at crazy Noah until the rain started to fall. Noah didn't seem so crazy when they heard the door shut. Wham! God wants you to understand. It may be at that moment you begin to realize that this is something I may not have understood but I'm glad that I followed God's instructions for preparation for this day. Sometimes in faith, we have to do things that are preparing us for a day we don't yet see that's around a corner. And God is preparing us for something we don't understand. But we need to obey. God asks us to obey. Just trust me. I know more than you do about this. Sometimes your kids have to trust you even though you won't explain to them why. Because they're not ready for the explanation. One day you'll understand, do what I tell you to do. Just because I said to do it. God's just asking, read the book and follow the instructions. Not because you always understand. But because I know where I'm taking you. And I want you to be ready for the next step. So here we are, <clears throat> book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. Some fair, can you imagine being in Jesus' Bible class? <laughs> what happens when the Word starts talking? It's not somebody interpreting the Word, it's the Word speaking with such authority because he knew what he meant when he wrote it. He knew what he meant when he inspired people to put it down on paper. He knew the inflection. He knew. He didn't have to guess. He knew exactly what was going on that page. So when Jesus taught, he taught with the authority of being the author. There may have been 40 hands that put it to paper, but it was Jesus that put it to the author's heart. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby it. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. First of all, I, I really think we need to take just a moment and just think about this for a second. Did he come willingly? Who had the faith? His friends? Or the man on the mat? Who brought him? Did he go kicking and screaming, this is so embarrassing, I'm a grown man, and you're carrying me over to see Jesus? I'm going to be the only one hanging on a mat while you four carry me in. I'm just so embarrassed. Or was it, please, guys, take me to Jesus. I believe that matters. I believe it could change everything. Can you guys just please set aside your bullet night and take me over to see Jesus? I mean, I don't know. I don't know which way it was. Was it the four men carrying the mat? 
Or was it the man on the mat with hope? You know, there was a time when Jesus tried to heal a guy and he kept giving him excuses. I don't have anybody to get me to the water. I don't have, I don't have anybody to help me. I, I've just been here for so long. I've just given up hope that it'll ever be me. I just, and Jesus finally said, get up. So was it the four men that said, we're taking you? And he said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Or was it the man who said, please, please take me. Please take me. I need something to give me hope. Take me to Jesus. Which part will you have? Will you be the one begging somebody to get you there? Or will you be the one that picks up the corner and says, I'll help you? You know that uh, the polling... What is the name of that big polling service? I, uh, I can't, it's always right there. It's on the tip of my tongue. But Gallup, Gallup polls said that most Americans said they would go to church if somebody would just walk them through the door. They just don't know what's inside. I mean, it's as strange to them as if one of us went to, uh, you know, an Oddfellows Lodge or a Mormon church or, or into, uh, you know, a Mason a Masonic Hall, they don't know what to expect inside. If somebody would just walk me through the door, I'd go. Well, pick up your corner and walk them through the door. What is your responsibility? Have you ever thought somebody ought to do something about that? You know what the calling is? It's seeing the need. God shows you the need because you're the solution. You know, so many times we believe somebody else will get that done. Thank you, somebody else whoever you might be. If you don't step over paper in the parking lot, somebody ought to pick that up. It'd be good if somebody would invite that lady down the street to church. Well, if it's on your heart, God may be telling you something. Invite the lady. You know, I love hearing stories of families. I've heard of families that are dedicated to making sure a widow at the end of the street gets her lawn mowed or making sure that somebody's checked on that just lost their spouse at an elderly age, you know, making sure that the widows and orphans are cared for. The Bible says that's pure religion. That's the purest form when we look out for one another, when our eyes are open to the needs around us. But, you know, by nature we're selfish. I think one of the funniest things in my house is that we're supposed to have more psychic ability than I possess. My wife will say, who ate the last piece of cake? I was thinking about that all day long. <laughs> You're married to a man that's over 300 pounds. Did you really think it was going to last very long? <laughs> Let's be honest, a little common sense would have helped you out here. Hide it better. <laughs> my wife used to, you know, love chocolate. She don't ask for it as much anymore, but... I used to buy her the big, you know, because I love her a lot, I didn't buy her the little 88 cent bar. I bought her that big one, you know, with the hopes that she might share a square or two. It never really happens that way, but I'd have to buy an extra one. But the, the you know, I bought her the, so she would hide it because I would always be, well, can I have just one square, you know, maybe one? And, you know, I, maybe I'd ask for two, I don't know. But I would ask for, you know, a little, and she didn't like that. that that's mine. It's mine. So she hid it. So one time, we pulled a drawer open on a nightstand, and she'd hid it there. And we were on the second floor of a building, and there was a hole in the floor. I knew there was a hole in the floor. It was about as big as your thumb. It wasn't real big. Well, maybe a little bigger. But there was a hole in the floor, and I just covered it with the nightstand. You know what I mean? You're in a place that's not yours. So I just covered it, and I probably should have put some steel wool down it and foamed it and done a few things, but I just covered the hole. It went all the way through the carpet, through the floor. There was a hole in the floor. I don't know why. The hole was there. But she put this big, giant chocolate bar in the drawer and shut the drawer. And we opened the drawer, and there's a dead mouse with the biggest grin you ever saw. And there were these little teeth marks. He'd eaten about a quarter of that bar. It was death by chocolate. You've heard of a cake or something, you know. Death by chocolate, I've seen it. A mouse was dead. Biggest grin on his face. And if you got to go, apparently that's the way, because he was smiling ear to ear. But... Uh, but the point is, we're by nature selfish. You know, it's only through Christ that we begin to understand that letting go of things is where the, the real blessings reside. But, you know, we're, we're sort of selfish. That's mine. And I'm not saying that Connie's only that way. There are things that I feel that way about, you know. I have, if you, have you ever heard of the black and white popcorn? Ooh, you got to find black and white popcorn. It's, uh, 
It's, uh, you know, Walmart has it, little red bags, and it says black and white. And it's, what it is is the popcorn is streaked with chocolate. And, uh, and I'm, I think I'm salivating, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, in this, time, in this season of the year, I keep it in the refrigerator. And for whatever reason, I misplaced my bag of black and white popcorn. And uh, my wife has a habit, like if she eats chips, she don't like rolling the top. What she does is as it goes down, she cuts through the bag, you know. She just cuts the bag and then folds it over if she wants to seal it or something. But she don't want to reach in through a bag of grease or whatever. She just keeps trimming the bag. And you can tell when she's been eating the bag because it's only that tall. She cut all the way through it. And so my black and white went missing, you know. And I looked everywhere for my black and white. And I would have put it in the freezer, in the refrigerator to keep that chocolate nice and cold so it wouldn't stick to your fingers quite so fast. Well, anyway, I come home and, and there's a black and white bag and it's been chopped across. It's only about that high. And I, I said, Connie, how did, you been hiding my black and white? Oh no, I came across that. I know what she did. I know what she did. She hid it, forgot where she hid it. And then she came across it and thought, ooh, that looks good. I'm just gonna eat that black and white popcorn. It's popcorn and oh, it's so good. I recommend it. But you know, not if you're on the diet. If you're on the, you know, uh, it won't fit the keto diet if that's what you're on. You need bacon for that. So put bacon with the popcorn and then you'll be okay. But uh, you, can't, you, can't, you can't just eat the popcorn. That doesn't work. But you know, bacon goes good with everything. So it doesn't matter. You can put it with that. But by nature, we're selfish. So there are people that saw the man on the mat and I'm sure could say, Jesus could really help that man. Somebody ought to do something. It's so easy to walk by. It's, it is. It just is. You know, uh, I, I used to love to go to some big cities, beautiful cities, but cities that have grown in population of the homeless. And if they're sitting in a doorway, like with a dog and a cardboard sign and everything, you just don't look at them. You make eye contact, and they're going to get up and, you know, confront you and want your money. And so, you know, you just, you don't, you just, you know, you don't see them. That's how we avoid, you know, giving. But Americans are very generous. Now, we, we give. If you notice uh, the exit that goes onto my street, onto airport, that's a very popular spot to panhandle because people will just practically throw money out of the car. It's amazing. Matter of fact, a friend of mine who was in rescue, he, he came into shelter. He said there was a guy on an on-ramp and people were bringing him food. He didn't want food, so he's throwing the bags over his shoulder so they wouldn't see a pile of bags. He was throwing them down the shoulder, you know, down off of the on-ramp. And they kept bringing him food. And he realized what he's doing. He saw food piled up behind this uh, uh, on-ramp. And so he was waiting for the fresh hot one to come over, you know, fresh and hot, like the donut. You know, I don't know how I know that. But, you know, the donut has the fresh and hot thing. And so uh, anyway, one came over the hill, and he ran over to get the food because he was hungry. But there was money in the bag. So the guy's wanting all this money up there. He's not even looking in the bag. Oh, I don't want a hamburger. He just threw it. And so he went through the bag, and about half of them had, you know, some money in it. So he not only got a hot meal, he scored. He got some money, too. Americans are very generous. And I believe it goes back to our Christian heritage and our excess, and some of it goes back to guilt over our success and some other people's failure. So we feel like we can soothe our guilt by giving a little bit. How much do you give? Do you give till it hurts? You know, takers eat well, but givers sleep well. So which are you? I am not a taker. I'm a giver, but I have eaten well. And so, you know, don't get... Now, if you invite me and it's all, you know, just a free-for-all, I'm going to eat a lot of your chicken, but uh, that's just the way I am. I want you to feel like you're a good cook. But in this... In this story, there are, there are men carrying this man's mat. They're picking up the corner. They're taking responsibility. They're saying, how can I help? Now, they hit an obstacle. And, you know, some people quit at obstacles. They come to an obstacle because it says here that... Um, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to push through the crowd to get to Jesus, but they, they couldn't reach him. The crowd was too dense. There were too many people. And for a lot of people, when they hit an obstacle, they're like, oh, well, oh, well, we tried. 
We tried. Maybe we need to persevere. You know, there are, there are a lot of people that it's not that they don't want to. They just need you to push them a little harder. Now, there are people that will say, you know, don't push me. But I told you a week or two ago about the man who gave me every excuse, every excuse. He was a college student. He was a lifelong college student. He had been to philosophy class. Fortunately, I'd been to the same ones. And he gave me every excuse for not being a Christian and, and how there is no God and all these arguments against the existence of God and how they've got so many ways to disprove God's existence. You know, I don't know how you can disprove God's existence when this universe is not suspended on string, but it precisely travels in the track that God put it in. So, you know, I mean, any real scientist, you know, they talk about how science and faith are opposing each other. No, they're not. Because any great scientist that understands how the universe works understands that there is a divine design and God created it all. There has to be a God. You can't be an Einstein and have all that brain power and not admit there has to be somebody behind it. That'd be like picking up a watch. You know, I, I'm fascinated by watches. I don't particularly like to wear a wristwatch, but I'm fascinated by watches. And I've got a pocket watch at home and a few wristwatch, but I don't like quartz. I like wound watches. And what I love about automatics or hand-wound watches is to watch all those parts work together to be so precise and to carry the seconds and minutes to the hours and you know, just amazing. Somebody created that. Somebody put the screws together. Somebody set the jewels in place. And somebody can fix it if it breaks. And that thing can run. And you cannot look at your watch and say, somebody didn't make that. And yet you can look in the mirror and believe, yeah, you know, something exploded and here I am. Let's throw a stick of dynamite out there and see if we can create something. Truth is, explosion destroys. God said, let it be, and it was. It's not a hard concept. It's not a huge leap of faith. You know you aren't making your heart pump right now. You know you're not making your lungs inflate and deflate. You might force yourself to. You could hyperventilate if you get anxious or something. But the truth is, most of the time, we don't think about the blood coursing through our veins. We don't think about it unless maybe we have high blood pressure or, you know, maybe... You know, something stirs a thought. A kidney stone will make you think about your kidneys. I know that from personal experience. I thought I was giving birth to a baby or something. I, I, my back was hurting. I grabbed the roof rack of my little Honda and almost flipped the car. I mean, the pain went wham! And I went to the doctor and, you know, I believe how complex a kidney is now, but I never thought about it before that. As long as everything's functioning properly, we don't think about it. Nothing makes you ungrateful than the regularity with which you receive your blessing. So think about this. Who is grateful for the beat of their heart? The person with a pacemaker. Who's grateful for the function of their kidneys? The person who's had difficulty or dialysis or a kidney stone. Who's grateful for their lungs, the ones that have been cleared of some sort of major lung issue. You know, you need to understand that the person who has had Ball's palsy is the one that's grateful when their face functions properly and part of it's not hanging or playing dead. The person who's had the stroke and they're restored the use of an arm or a leg or, or a hand, they're the ones that's grateful and they're the ones that think about it. But with the regularity of a blessing, we just snicker at it and don't think nothing of it because we believe it'll just go on forever. God wants you to understand we have much to be grateful for and it's the ones with gratitude that are willing to extend themselves for God. The ungrateful are along with the selfish. They're just... Focused on the guy in the mirror. How much do you dominate your world and how much do you serve it? God didn't call us to dominate. God called us to serve. God said, we'll rule this world, but we won't do it with a stick or a club. We'll do it with a, the love that nobody else can have unless they join us. There's a peace that you cannot have at the bottom of a bottle. There's a peace that you cannot have with a tranquilizer. There's a peace that you cannot have any other way. There are people that are just 
marking their days and they're just going through their life and they're just binging on TV and they're binging on gaming and they're binging on their phones because they don't want to face the realities of their life that are unpleasant. So they try to be distracted all the time. God wants you to be able to be at such peace that you can sit in a quiet room and do nothing and be pleased in the Lord and be satisfied. If you just can't sit still because you don't have any peace, then you don't have the Jesus that he wants you to have. He wants you to know the kind of peace and the kind of joy that's not generated from the fact that you won the lottery or pulled the right slot or put the ticket on the right horse. But it comes from the fact that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your sins have been washed away. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life because you said yes to Jesus. You joined in relationship with God. But in order to be this person carrying a corner of the mat, you've got to be somebody that thinks about others and finds fulfillment in service. You know, there are people that quietly serve our church, and, and it just amazes me, and I, I never feel grateful enough for those that do so many things. So many things. We, we see the ones up front. But you know this isn't all there is. It's not just Justin and Pastor and whoever they might let speak like me. It's the people in the sound booth. It's the people in the nursery. It's the people doing security to keep us safe. You know, we live in a time when we have to have that. There was a time in my life when a church really didn't have to worry about locking their doors. But now we have security and you've got to run over there and put the code in. And it's only being a good steward that we do that. There are people that are teaching our children and, and people that are reaching out into the community. And maybe you don't see it. Maybe you don't have that page of Facebook that you watch. But there are people that are still doing it, whether you know or not. It's an amazing kingdom. There are people visiting people and people praying for people, people calling people, people reaching out to people. And you don't even know. They don't blow a trumpet when they do it. They pick up, you know, our... I was raised by a dad who did all the stuff behind the scenes. That's who I thought I'd be, and look where I'm at. I don't know how that works out. My dad wouldn't be up here unless he was in a box about six feet long. There's no way he's getting up front. I remember one time when pastors did that, they said, Brother Nelson, would you close us in prayer? And he did one of these. That was my dad. But you know what? If they were roofing the church, he was the one the night before after work that put all the shingles up on the roof. If they were doing some plumbing and they need to dig a ditch to do an extension, they came to do the chore and the ditch was already dug. He was the one that did all that. Nobody had to ask him. I remember picking up stuff in the lawn so he wouldn't run over it with a mower. They weren't paying him to mow the grass. He just wanted the church to look its best. I remember taking a seashell to school in elementary school, and they said, oh, did you go to the ocean? No, I found it in the grass when I was picking up the stuff at the church before my dad mowed the lawn. So, you know, for years, for years, I had two brass bells on a leather, you know, uh, strip. I had two, two brass bells, like on a leather shoelace, that hung from my mirror, and that's exactly where I got them. I found them in the grass when I was cleaning up before he mowed the lawn at the church. I have great respect for somebody that reaches down to pick up a gum wrapper on the way to the car because they want God's house to look as good or better than anywhere. I don't have any respect for people that say, well, replacing my couch, yeah, there's only one seam going out. It's kind of threadbare, but I guess the youth could use a new couch. They want a couch, don't you think? Have you ever been in a church where they had a green refrigerator 30 years after avocado was not a color we chose anymore? Why is it that we don't give the best? When you look at the Bible, they gave their best to God. But we think, well, I'm replacing the refrigerator, doing a remodel. Maybe I'll just give that to the church. Well, you don't want it anymore. What makes you think God wants it? I can see God in heaven going, avocado, really? I'm more of an almond guy. You know, I don't get that avocado thing. He probably likes black or stainless. You know, stainless has become very popular except for the fingerprints. I don't know what God, do you think God's got a stainless fridge in heaven? First thing I'm going to do when I get there, I want to see what's in the fridge. Because you know how I know I'm family? When I go to my parents' house, I can go look in the fridge and they don't blink. My mom will say, hey, there's some ice cream in the back. Did you want some cranberry juice? It's behind the milk. You know, I mean, they don't, 
They don't think nothing of it. You know you're home when nobody says anything because you open the refrigerator. Hey, what are you doing? I'm looking for something to drink. Well, in my family, that wouldn't even be a concern. Of course you are. You live here. You know your family. When we get to heaven, I want to open the fridge. I'm, I'm hoping God's not on keto. That would be, you know. I'm hoping he's got some chocolate cake and a big, you know, whole milk. Whole milk. It'd be my luck. It'll be, you know, skim milk. It's like, God, come on. Let's have some whole milk. God made whole milk. It's man that makes it into something else. God's probably going, how did you ever think of milking almonds? You know, it's got to be tough. I don't even know which end you get the milk from. You know, how do you do that? Soy milk. Soy milk. What? Have you tasted that stuff? I grew up on, an, on a corner of an almond ranch, so there were always almonds. And uh, so almond milk tastes okay to me because I'm, I've got a palate for almonds. I was raised around them all my life. I mean, I eat almonds by the handful. Raw almonds, blanched almonds, roasted almonds, seasoned almonds. Almonds have been run over by the car and picked up anyway, and we shelled them. You know, with just any kind of almond. So almond milk's all right, but soy? Gentlemen, I just want you to know, soy runs down your testosterone. Don't touch that stuff. I want all the testosterone I got. I'm a man. Give me no estrogen. I don't need none of that. So they could have stopped at that first obstacle. They could have said, that's enough. I can't go any further. They tried to push through the crowd. They could have used it for an excuse. They could have said, we went as far as we could go. Sometimes you got to be creative to get God's work done. I, you know, I love, I, I'm still so impressed by Trish's idea to go give away hugs downtown during COVID because she saw a need and filled it. There are other creative ideas here in the church, but that's one that just stands out to me because it's unexpected. Let's do the unexpected. Let's be kind to the world in a way they can't explain away. Let's be kind to the world in a way that they just can't ignore. The church has people with opinions about us because a lot of times we're bristly and we keep to ourselves. Jesus wouldn't like that. Jesus didn't say, ooh, sinners, ooh. <laughs> they wouldn't have been rushing him. They wouldn't have been crowding around him. They wouldn't have been trying to get to him if he was too religious to talk to him. God help us to be so open, so huggy, so loving, so kind. You know, one of my favorite things to say about somebody is that they're kind. You know, I love to meet somebody and say, that person is so kind. You know, to be kind, you can't be self-motivated. It can't be about me. Kind is about the other person. And service is kindness. You know, when you're like this, this doesn't sound kind, does it? Waiter, waiter, my tea. My sweet tea's only half full. It's getting diluted by the ice. Come on now. I'm going to give you a quarter for a tip if you just rush over here. My daughter was uh, serving farmers in the morning with coffee at a Chinese restaurant. They'd finish their work on the farm and they'd come and visit for a little while after their work was done in the morning and they'd have a cup of coffee. They didn't order any Chinese food, they just ordered a cup of coffee. And so my daughter would be Johnny on the spot and fill up their cup and it never failed if those farmers came. They left a $20 tip on a 50 cent cup of coffee. What do you want to bet they got good service? Huh? Yeah. God wants you to understand if we're kind to people in one way or another. A pastor of International Church of Las Vegas, Assembly of God, Paul Goulet, he said, I am generous on every occasion. If they're, if they're you know, at the supermarket asking for a dollar for children or, you know, for the hospital or for, you know, some kind of this or that or McDonald's asking if you want to add a dollar... You know, it's like when you pay $17 for a cheeseburger, you're kind of saying, mm. but Paul says, isn't it great to show people that God's a generous God? If we're his hand extended, how do you think God's going about it? You know, is God pulling back? 
or is God pushing it out there and saying, I have more than enough. Here, have a little bit more. You can't grow corn without committing your seed to the ground. You have to let it go. God can't feel a hand that's tight. He's, he feels a hand that's, that's open. Which hand do you want to have? Mine, 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 mine. That's in the, what is that? Finding Nemo where the seagulls are flying around? Mine, 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 mine. And yet, I think sometimes that's exactly where people are at. So, they pushed through the crowd. They couldn't reach him, so they went up to the roof. Somebody got creative, and they took off some tiles. I'm not sure the homeowner approved of that. He probably had to call Willis Roofing or something. And they lowered the sick man down to the crowd, and still on his mat right in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. If we can just reach Jesus. You know, there's a world that doesn't know what they need. They're just searching. They're searching hard. And they look everywhere. And you can see them seeking it. You can see them. It just seems like those things they strive to obtain do not satisfy. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to them, Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, I thought about that passage, and I thought, well, if Jesus is modeling how we ought to behave, we can't forgive people, you know, eternally speaking. We can't forgive people. Yes, we can. You know, the Bible says forgiven, you'll be forgiven. Who do you need to forgive? The Bible makes it clear if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Don't withhold your forgiveness. But what was beautiful there is he said, your sins are forgiven. He's paralyzed. Your sins are forgiven. I need to let's giddy up and go. What are you talking about my sins are forgiven? And the religious leaders, they're like, look at him. Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Have you noticed that critical people are not forgiving people? I just can't believe the way. Did you see what they wore? Did you see what they said? Do you see, do you see how they look? Do you see how they act? Oh my goodness, I just can't stand it. They're so unforgiving and bitter and hard and harsh. There's nothing about me that's so much greater than anybody that I can look down on anybody. And anybody can pick me apart. There's probably people sitting back saying, all right. I got the pull that the platform's going to cave in on him next Wednesday. So hold on, platform. You got to go one more week before you collapse. It's so easy to find something to criticize people about. But wouldn't it be great if we were more inclined to find the good things in people's lives? If we would point out the good things, instead of people falling back into their faults, they might strive for their gifts and abilities. God help us to see beyond. He said, your sins are forgiven. I think that's an interesting phrase, and I've always had trouble with that phrase. Your sins are forgiven. He came for a healing, and you're telling him he's forgiven? Well, what's a greater healing? What's the greater healing? To be able to walk or move your hand or whatever is paralyzed? Is that a greater healing to remove a paralyzed body or to remove sin from a heart? You're resurrecting the dead when you forgive my sins. I was dead in my sins. The greatest miracle you ever see is somebody getting saved. They're being liberated from their eternal destiny in hell. They're being brought to life in Christ. So what's the greater healing? Your sins are forgiven or eh, get up and walk. No matter what God heals here, and I've been healed. My knee's been healed uh, on at least two occasions that I know. When I was a child, I had Osgood Slaughters. God healed that. Later in life, I had water on the knee. God healed that. God's healed me a couple times regarding my knees. Thank you, Lord. But you know, my body's going to wear out anyway. It doesn't matter what God heals. It's going to wear out. It's going to wear out. I could be in perfect condition. I remember Yule Gibbons. You remember Yule Gibbons? I know you don't. You heard of grape nuts? They used to say... Yul Gibbons choked on a grape nut. That's how he went. But anyway, Yul Gibbons, healthy, natural eater, died young. Flojo, what happened there? Died young. Athletes, 
Dying young. There was a guy, one of the first to endorse tennis shoes. Died young. What was that about? 45 years old, great condition, drop dead. I had a guy in recovery, and I had guys come through 40, 50 years of abusing their bodies and just snap back. It's amazing. But I had one guy, he would do 250 sit-ups, 250 push-ups every night. Physically fit, you know, a guy with the, the abs, you know. The, the, the guy that's just a physically good-looking specimen. And one day he's doing his sit-ups and somebody said he just dropped. He had a funny look on his face. He just dropped and he was gone. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. This is not an infinite amount of grainless sands. If the Lord tarries, none of us are going to escape. We're going to die. So the question is, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with it? We can carry our corner or we can wait for somebody else to do it. Or we can point out the people that aren't doing it. I just don't understand that, Stacy. He should have already got his corner. I don't get it. I'm sitting back here thinking, Stacy, he usually is the corner carrier. And here's this guy laying there on the mat, and he hadn't even got his corner yet. Three guys volunteered, and Stacy just standing back there twiddling his thumbs. Why haven't you got the corner yet, Stacy? Honestly. <laughs> Probably because God's waiting on me to get the corner. You know what I mean? I see the need, and yet I'm complaining that somebody else didn't fill in it. Quit stepping over the things that God has showed you to do and start doing the things that God's called you to do because somebody is depending on you. Somebody may not make it to heaven if you just won't pick up the corner. It didn't, it didn't say that they evangelized to him all the way to the meeting. It didn't say that they uh, you know, quoted scripture the whole way down the road. It didn't say they sung choruses or you know, spent their free hand praising God the whole way. It just says they got him to Jesus. That's all it says. They tore the roof up to do it. I don't know if they broke the tiles. I hope they were careful. They took off the tiles, they lowered the man, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Who does this man think he is? I want to assure you of something, those of us that uh, are fruit inspectors. If, if an evangelist is on satellite and reaching millions throughout the world, don't you criticize that man. He may not be perfect. There's a lot of oddballs out there. Don't you criticize him. Somebody's getting saved somewhere you're not going because he is. Don't criticize him. Don't be a fruit inspector. God does not call us to that. God calls us to plant our vineyard and harvest the fruit in front of us. Help us. Not to look for ways to say, that guy could sure do more. I don't understand. There asking for money like TV's not for free. I turn it on, it's for free. I just turn it on. Who does he think he is? The Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to each other, this is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sin? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked him, why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I will prove that I, the son of man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand, take your mat, and go on home, because you are healed. Do you see any pleading or begging there? Dear Daddy, oh, Father, please don't let me look like a goofball praying for this person. I want them to get up. I always think about Peter and James when they went through the gate called Beautiful, and there's that beggar there. And the beggar holds up the cup, you know, because they're kind of bubbly, and he's thinking they got their stimulus check, you know. And so... He reaches up with his little tin cup, you know, you're going to share with me. And they said, we ain't got no money. I'm a preacher, you know. And so he said, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And what amazes me is he picks him up. There's a moment that if you think about it, you're either going to succeed or everybody's going to see you act a fool when that man falls to the ground going, ooh, ow, ooh, ooh, ow, ooh, ooh, ow. Why'd you do that? But instead, he went leaping and jumping and running into the temple. God wants us to have enough faith to reach out and grab the world by the hand and say, God loves you. But are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, be healed in Jesus' name? Not, dear Lord Jesus, I hope someday 
over the rainbow, somewhere, somehow, some way, by some miraculous miracle cure on TV, through doctor who knows what, this will somehow be resolved. Sometimes we have the authority of Scooby-Doo with our prayer. When we really need to be saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed. You know, people like Oral Roberts, they used to set him in a chair and run people by because he was so tired from praying for one healing after another. And you say, well, not everybody on Benny Hinn's healed. Not everyone on Oral Roberts' program is healed. No, not everyone on those shows were healed. Yeah, well, not everyone believes. God healed people in spite of their belief, and we saw that. But there are also people that turn around as soon as you pray for them and said, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Well, then why'd you go up front? I knew somebody that packed a bus to go to Catherine Coleman. A minister said they were healed when they got on the bus because they already had invested themselves in the belief that God was going to heal. Are we invested? Are we willing to take a risk? Are we willing to get a little pie on our face? Are we willing to have a little egg on the face thinking that, well, I tried? Or are we just saying, well, unless I'm sure, there's no faith in, in being sure. Faith is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. These men had enough faith to bring him to Jesus. And then Jesus told him, get up, take your mat and go. And immediately everyone watched. The man jumped to his feet, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And by the way, that's the only reason there are miracles. Jesus is not in the business of just healing us willy-nilly because he wants us to be comfortable. He heals so that the message can be validated, so that the attention of the crowd can be gripped and the words can have weight. God wants us to believe that greater things than Jesus did can happen at our hand just by invoking the authority and power that he delivered to us. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me and I give it to you that in my name, in my name, whose name? The one that said, let there be light and didn't screw the light bulb into a few days later. <laughs> hey, read it. He separated the light from the darkness and he hadn't put the sun, moon, and stars out yet. Imagine a carpenter going out on a job and doing the clapper thing and there isn't even electricity. <laughs> Lights come on, he's illuminated, power saws running, no generator, no power, just... That's the way God is. God doesn't have to run on logic. Nothing about God has to be logical. Well, everything has a beginning. There's an egg, and then there's a chick, and then there's a chicken, and they lay an egg, and then there's a, a chick, and then there's a chicken. God has no beginning. Deal with it. And if God says you can do all things through Christ Jesus our Lord, he's not saying maybe, he's not saying sometimes, he's saying do it. So pick up your corner. It doesn't matter what your corner is. Don't judge yourself against anybody else. I don't have the talent of the guy holding the guitar over there. I've owned guitars, and those poor, embarrassed guitars finally left me. They left me. They said, I need a home that knows what to do with me. The stove mocks me at home. It says, look at that. The microwave gets all this attention, and I don't do anything for you. God wants you to see that you are particularly designed for a particular purpose. And he wants people to be filled with awe and wonder, saying over and over again, we have seen amazing things today. I know there's magicians out there, people that, you know, do the sleight of hand and deceive people. But you know what? Jesus is not doing sleight of hand and he's not deceiving people. When the real comes in the room, the counterfeit fades away. You know who can catch counterfeit the best? Tellers, because they handle the real thing all the time. We're in the presence of the real thing all the time. And when we express the love of God to this world, they'll see the difference. Because most of the world loves you to get something.
We're supposed to love out of gratitude for what we've already gotten. I don't need anything from anybody because God's given me everything. So God called on me to give some of my excess to everyone else. Pick up your corner. God's relying on you to get that man to Jesus, to get that woman to Jesus, to get that child to Jesus. Because without you, somebody may be left out in the cold. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. The older I get, the harder hell is. It doesn't mean I dilute the concept of eternal damnation and fire and darkness and separation and, and the shame of it. I just struggle with anybody going there. I struggle with anybody being an eternal punishment for their choice. I struggle with it. And we should. I delight in the idea that I'm going to be with God forever. I think his refrigerator is going to have ice cream. I believe it. That's what I'm going for. The drumsticks, you know. I think it'll be great. You don't think he has drumsticks? Come on, who put it in the heart of man to create that delightful thing? He was God. And I'm not talking about what we play here. I'm talking about the ice cream, you know, with a nice waffle cone and the chocolate and nuts. And I'm strolling again. But anyway, there was a need. Four men saw it. They were willing to pick up their corner. They were willing to tear up a roof. They were willing to overcome obstacles. They were willing to get somebody to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, Jesus met his need. If you can get people to Jesus, Jesus will meet their need. I've never saved anybody. I can't save you from your sin. But I can introduce you to the one who will. Jesus is everything. Be excited. Be thrilled. Feel, feel the excitement involved in introducing somebody to Jesus. You do the eternal one time and you'll be ruined for the temporary. This life is nothing. What's a midlife crisis? You realize it doesn't matter. You can't pull it in the hole with you. It doesn't go with you into the next life. There's no hearse with a U-Haul. So, at the, you know, I do rent U-Hauls, but I've never rented one to a hearse. I want you to understand something. The only thing we can go into eternity with are the people we introduce to Jesus. Pick up your corner. I'm not here to tell you what corner you're supposed to pick up. It's not my job to go around saying, get this one, get that one. You, you, you got that corner. You got that corner, right? Get that corner. Get that corner. I don't do corners. You get the corner. No, I'm supposed to find my corner and pick it up and carry it and do whatever God wants me to do. God, help me to find my corner every day to talk to somebody an encouraging word to give them the courage to be the man of God or woman of God God called them to be. To make heaven their home. To be there when they're discouraged and help them not to give up. To be there to say, you can do it. God loves you. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. God doesn't care. If you've asked him to forgive you, it's forgotten. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Sometimes we strain too much on what happened instead of what will be. Let us lean into the traces. God has better things in store. Let's pray.